Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. Welcome to Healthy Children, where all of our expert guests are provided by the American Academy of Pediatrics. I'm Melanie Cole. Joining me today is Dr. Tiffany Johnson. She's board-certified pediatric emergency medicine physician at UC Davis, and she's a scholar on race, racism, and its impact on child health. We're talking about eliminating race-based medicine, and the American Academy of Pediatrics has recently come out with a statement, so we're going to talk about that today. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the show. Before we get into the new policy... Data's shown that people from racial or ethnic minority groups are less likely to receive preventive health care. And across the board, various ethnic groups have faced really a disproportionate health burden. Can you start this podcast by talking to us a little bit about the unique challenges these communities have faced in terms of health care disparities? Yes. Um, so first, thank you so much for having me. Um, as you mentioned, my research is focused on race and racism and its impact on child health. So this is an issue that I care a lot about. And, you know, we have known for decades um, that there are significant um, racial and ethnic disparities in the um, care and outcomes of um, children who are, come from groups that are um, racially minoritized. Um, the root causes of those disparities are multifactorial. Um, but what we're really trying to do um, particularly in the academy through work, including this policy statement, is instead of um, kind of putting the blame and the focus on the patients and what they're doing wrong, how can we evaluate what is happening at a structural or a system level that is contributing to these disparities? And what is our role and our responsibility as healthcare providers for even taking that internal look within our own systems at some of the ways in which our policies and our practices and our procedures might potentially be contributing to them? Wow, that's so true. And really, in these underserved communities, we noticed it most acutely at COVID, didn't we? Because absolutely, those communities were hit hard, and they didn't have access to the testing sites and to, you know, even masks and even awareness and information. So I'd like you to speak to us about this new policy that was recently announced from the American Academy of Pediatrics that's really putting all of this under the microscope. I just love AAP, and this is one of the reasons. Can you tell us a little bit about the new policy statement? Absolutely. So um, the Academy recently released a policy statement that's focusing on eliminating race-based medicine. So when we say race-based medicine, this refers to when we inappropriately insert race or ethnicity as a biological variable into some of our um, tools that we're using to help make medical decision-making. Um, so for example, one of the ones that has received the most attention um, are in, is the um, glomerular filtration rate, which helps to identify people who um, have or are at risk of chronic kidney disease. And so the EGFR um, has for many years now um, had an adjustment for um, race and ethnicity with a faulty assumption about differential um, muscle mass in, um, in Black patients in comparison to patients from other races and ethnicities. What this potentially does, though, is it um, results in a delay in diagnosing chronic kidney disease and 
those populations based on the adjustment into that calculator, which can delay access to earlier interventions, whether it's um, transplantation or dialysis or other interventions to help address it. Um, so um, it's been receiving a lot of at- attention lately. The EGFR is one example. Another example is vaginal birth after cesarean section. So we know that there are, you know, we, talk, we started this conversation talking about disparities. One of the areas where we see some of the highest disparities are in um, morbidity and mortality for mothers and infants after childbirth. And so um, one of the factors that can potentially contribute to some of those increased disparities are having surgical procedures. And so um, the VBAC calculator really helps determine who is at risk of having a failed vaginal birth after they've had a previous cesarean section versus who is more likely going to have a successful vaginal birth. And that calculator currently includes Black race as a risk factor. And so as we are re-examining our policies and procedures, we really want to reevaluate um, whether or not these policies are resulting in inequities in the, in the care that we're providing. And I'm really proud of the American Academy of Pediatrics for being a leader in doing some of this work so that we're not just making statements that Black Lives Matter, but we're really beginning to do some of that hard work of taking a look internally at our policies and our practices and making sure that we are looking at them with an equity lens to ensure that all children and families are receiving the highest quality of care and we're not inappropriately inserting race as a biological variable. Beautifully said, and I feel like you do in that I am proud to be doing these podcasts and be associated with AAP, especially when they take on initiatives such as this. And while we're talking about making this a reality and not just the buzzword of taking this from bench to bedside, with the recent demands that we've seen, Dr. Johnson, for social justice, many people are kind of taking up this mantle. They're feeling the need to be introspective or evaluate and adjust their own behaviors. I know this has happened for me recently. Now, how would you suggest providers accomplish this as well, which means working with their nurses and their assistants and and treating people in underserved communities or clinics exactly the same way that they would treat other people and waiting rooms and all of this? Do you have some visions for this initiative and how it will improve the way patients receive their care, which in turn will then increase patient outcomes. Absolutely. Um, so I think that this is um, multifactorial. So um, in terms of my vision for, for this policy statement specifically, um, my vision is one, um, as we think about patients and families, there has been, especially um, during COVID-19, during this pandemic, as there's been a lot of talk around vaccinations and um, patients and parents' trust in the healthcare setting, I think it's important to acknowledge that the mistrust that some communities have for healthcare is a very well-earned mistrust. And it's based on um, the fact that medicine, just like all of the other structures in this country, have been built on a foundation of racism. And it's time for us to take action to really begin dismantling those structures. So my, my number one hope is that for patients and families that they'll see this policy statement and they'll see that the academy is taking the action um, for not just lip service, but putting our money where our mouth is for really working on how we can begin dismantling some of those structures and policies within our 
setting as we're working towards re-earning the trust of, of patients and communities. But next, you talked about what can providers do. So I think that um, providers um, are all on um, various kind of phases of a spectrum and working towards being anti-racist in their medical practice. And there are lots of things that providers can do. So the first thing is that providers really need to begin confronting their own personal biases. Um, one of the ways that they can do this is they can consider taking an implicit association test um, to better understand what some of their implicit or unconscious biases are. And then there are also some evidence-based tools that they can look into for beginning to confront those biases. So those can include things like perspective taking, where we consciously assess the situation from the point of view of another racial group. And in the clinical practice, that can be from, you know, patients and, and families who come from different backgrounds. We can, you know, focus on common identities. We can make sure that we're really being thoughtful about recognizing stereotypes when they come up and replacing those stereotypes. And also really just taking time for identifying opportunities for cross-cultural contact. Um, I think another thing that providers can do is um, the most important thing that they can do is um, really begin to read, um, to learn more about some of these, um, the history of um, race and racism and how it impacts our patients in this country. They can listen. Um, they can listen to podcasts like this. They can listen to their friends. They can listen to their patients um, and take time to reflect and understand. But beyond just our personal biases, you know, just changing hearts and minds is not necessarily going to result in meaningful change um, and reducing the unavoidable disparities that we're seeing in the care and outcomes for our patients. And so um, it's really going to be important that we're addressing the systems. So the American Academy of Pediatrics is helping us do this through this policy statement on eliminating race-based medicine. So um, healthcare providers and organizations can start looking at the policies within their practices. And so we talked about VBAC and glomerular filtration rate, but are there other policies that are driving our clinical practice um, that need to be reevaluated with a with a racial racial equity lens um, is another thing that we can do as well. And also really just think about within your organizations and within your private practices, how can you really make equity a strategic priority? Um, how can you stop and develop metrics to measure the impact of these priorities and continue to examine all of your policies, procedures, and regulations with an equity lens? Wow. You know, it is, as you say, so multifactorial as we're talking about the changes that need to be addressed. And we look at even the bigger picture, Dr. Johnson, which would be urban deserts and unusable sidewalks and parks and the obesity mm -hmm. epidemic, but then the paradox of obesity and food insecurity. And all mm -hmm. of these things come together for the healthcare community and obviously AAP really looking at, toward the children in all of this. Can you share, we're going to get ready to wrap up, but before we do that, I'd like to hear your experiences of prioritizing diversity and equity and inclusion in your practice, in your life, why you feel it's so important for all of these academic medical centers that are bringing up providers to become new residents and doctors why you feel it's important that they look to this. Share your experiences for us. 
So I think that's like three questions rolled into one. Um, I know. I'm sorry. I tend to do that. But you got this. You could do it. I got it. So first, you talked about um, some of the challenges within the communities, and I'm really glad that you mentioned that because as we think about, again, those root causes of the, dis- the racial disparities that exist, structural racism is one of those root causes. So as we, um, in this policy statement, focus on eliminating race-based medicine, I think a really important point is that we don't mean that you need to be colorblind, right? We mean, we want to make sure that there is still a racial consciousness among our providers and recognize... I want to stop you because you don't, you don't want to be colorblind if you're a physician, right? Because there Correct. are certain things that are going to affect the black community more than another or the Asian community. I mean, those diseases and situations need to be looked at for what they are, right? Correct. So we don't want to be colorblind, but instead we want to have a racial consciousness where we recognize that our patients from different various backgrounds have a different lived experience. And there are structural factors that may result in, um, in differences in, um, in, you know, diseases, injuries, and outcomes for those patients. But it's important that instead of saying, because you're a black or a, from a black race, you're at higher risk, or because you're from an Asian race, you're at higher risk, we recognize that it's not the patient's race in those situations. It's actually structural racism that puts them at higher risk, right? And so therefore, um, you know, what is our job in partnering with communities um, and advocating for families so that we can address the structural racism that exists in those communities that puts them at risk of, you know, having more injuries because there aren't safe, you know, walkable, walkable neighborhoods that puts them at risk for obesity because they live in in food deserts where they can't access um, nutritious food. So I think that is a a really important point in recognizing we don't want to be colorblind. We want to have a racial consciousness and recognize recognize that in most of the situations where we see disparities, it's racism and not race that's the root cause. Um, The second point that you made was um, around, you know, why is this so important? And it's important for a number of reasons, but one, because we're seeing an increasing diversity um, of the children that we're taking care of, right? And so um, as we are striving towards excellence in pediatrics, we cannot achieve excellence if we don't achieve equity. Um, and so it's going to be critically important for every activity that you're involved in as a pediatrician that you do bring this racial consciousness. So this can happen in your quality improvement efforts, for example. So when you're engaging in QI projects for your practice or for your institution, how can you make sure that you're collecting data on race, ethnicity, language, and other social determinants that might disproportionately impact some of your populations? And how how can you develop interventions that are really centering the margins um, for those populations? And then I would say the third part that you brought up was we're training the next generation of providers through our medical students and our residents. Um, and that, you know, that brings up kind of a two additional points for me. One is that, you know, I think this next generation, they're the ones that are going to get it right. So medical students and student-led organizations like the Student National Medical Association um, or the Latino Medical Association, as well as White Coats for Black Lives, they have really been calling us to task um, and questioning when it comes up in, in medical school when race is um, falsely inserted as a biological um, term instead of recognizing that it's a social term. Um, so um, I, I'm, I'm proud of these organizations and the work that they're doing. And, and I think that our future looks bright when we see what this next generation of providers is. Um, but I also, you know, will acknowledge that, um, you know, there are groups that remain underrepresented in medicine. 
And so we also need to um, examine as a specialty as we work towards achieving equity, that equity also needs to happen in terms of um, ensuring that we are diversifying our workforce so that we have a workforce that better represents the patient populations that we're caring for. Wow. Absolutely. We're so like-minded in that way. And I feel like we want to talk so quickly to get out everything we want to say about this such important topic, Dr. Johnson, because, and, and I, and I'm glad you brought up the hopeful message that you feel like the residents and people coming up through the academic medical centers are going to have a different outlook. I mean, we are sort of going by the wayside as we're seeing even more women and women in color getting into medicine. And in fields that were traditionally dominated by males, we're looking at orthopedics and neurosurgery and thoracic, we're seeing more women and women of color, not just in pediatrics, which is where we expect them to go, but in other ways. So I think this is such a broader topic and such, I'm so glad you had a hopeful message about about these upcoming medical professionals looking towards diversity and inclusiveness. Wrap this all up for us in a nice, pretty package of what you would like the listeners to take away from this policy statement uh, that was recently announced from the American Academy of Pediatrics, where it's putting its guidance really under the microscope. I mean, it's a big task. And, and, and it's also a big ask for all medical providers. But I want you to talk to us. Tell us why this is so vital for all communities. It is a big task and it is a big ask. Um, but, you know, I think at the academy, you know, we're, we're, we're charged with helping to ensure the health and wellness of our nation's children, right? And so I think we are up to that task and recognizing that we have been taking some initial first steps um, that predate this policy statement. So the academy has done work in, you know, from 2017 to 2019, even prior to COVID-19 and the disparities we've seen and prior to the murder of George Floyd, the academy, um, started a task force on addressing bias and discrimination so that we can begin doing this work. And then in 2019, they released a landmark policy statement on the impact of uh, of racism on child and adolescent health. And so this policy statement on eliminating race-based medicine is continuing to build on that foundation and build on that work. Um, And so one of the take-home messages is that I hope that through this policy statement, it will help to, um, you know, we have a lot of, what I like to say, we have a lot of learning to do. And we also have a lot of unlearning to do. So some of these issues around race-based medicine are things that we have been taught from the foundations, from from medical school and in our residencies and in our fellowships. And I hope that this will help us recognize that race is a social construct and not a biological construct and help us begin to do some of that learning and unlearning as we work towards towards equity. Um, And also recognizing that this is, you know, we're we're building on that foundation, but there is still um, a lot of additional work to do. Um, For for the take-home messages for our patients and families, I want you to know that the Academy is uh, committed to the health and wellness of all children and all adolescents, um, and that we're committed to um, ensuring that we are working towards achieving child health equity, where all children and and adolescents in this country can attain their highest level of health and well-being, regardless of their race and regardless of their language and regardless of their ethnicity and regardless of how much money they make. We want to ensure that all children can attain their highest level of health and well-being. 
And the, the take home message for the providers is that I hope that this will be a, um, a, a, a good first step for you in re-examining your practice, right? And thinking about are there ways in which you have previously inappropriately um, used race as a biological construct based on your prior training? Um, and how can you begin moving forward to um, instead of falsely looking at race as a biological factor, moving forward to having more of a race consciousness where you understand that racism has a negative impact on child health and begin um, engaging in empowering communities and working with families and, and, and doing advocacy work to begin dismantling some of those structures of racism that negatively impact your patients and doing the work that you need to do to examine both your personal biases as well as the work within your um, pediatric practices or within your organizations um, to apply a racial equity lens to all of the policies um, that you have. Here, here, and and AAP, you know, even including document status. Absolutely. If they're undocumented, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. AAP still loves children, right? And that's what this is all about, and we must protect them. And Dr. Johnson. Keep up the good fight and the good work, and I'm so proud of all of you, and I feel I feel honored to be able to be a part of, of watching this happen, and I only hope for the best and really do have the best feelings. You've given us a lot to think about today, and so I want you listeners to share this show. Start talking about this with your friends and your family on your social channels. Share this podcast, because not only do we need to talk about it, but we need to see it in action. We need to really take hold of it. Share it with your pediatrician. If they haven't heard it, share it with your friends and family, because it's so, so important for the health and safety of all of our children. That's really what it's all about. That's why we love our AAP. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. You can listen on Spotify or iTunes, TuneIn or Stitcher, Google Podcast, but we want you to listen at RadioMD.com. So for the American Academy of Pediatrics, HealthyChildren.org and RadioMD.com, I am Melanie Cole. Thank you so much for joining us today.